afternoon. They were progeny of Glory's eldest son, dead like her second son, although in entirely different circumstances. Joel, Ness, and Toby they were called, or poor little things, as Glory had taken to referring to them once her man George Gilbert had received his deportation papers and she'd seen which way the wind of George's life was likely to blow. This use of language on Glory's part was something new. In the time the Campbell children had been living with her, which was more than three years and counting this time around, and looking to be a permanent arrangement, she'd been a stickler for correct pronunciation. She herself had been taught the Queen's English long ago at her Catholic girls' school in Kingston, and... While it hadn't served her as well as she'd hoped when she immigrated to England, she could still trot it out when a shop assistant needed sorting, and she intended her grandkids to be able to do some proper sorting as well, should they ever have the need. But all that altered with the advent of George's deportation papers. When the buff envelope had been opened and its contents perused, digested and understood, and when all the legal manoeuvring had been engaged in to prolong, if not thwart, the inevitable, Glory had shed over forty years of God save the current monarch in an instant. If her George was heading for Jamaica, so was she, and the Queen's English wasn't necessary there. Indeed, it could be an impediment. So, the linguistic tone, melody and syntax morphed from Glory's rather charmingly antique version of received pronunciation to the pleasant honey of Caribbean English. She was going native, her neighbours called it. George Gilbert had left London first, escorted to Heathrow by immigration officials, keeping the current Prime Minister's promise to do something about the problem of visitors overstaying their visas. They came for him in a private car and glanced at their watches while he bade Gloria farewell, thoroughly lubricated by red stripe, which he'd begun to drink in anticipation of the return to his roots. They said, Come along, Mr. Gilbert, and took him by the arms. One of them reached into his pocket, as if in search of handcuffs should George not cooperate. But George was happy to go along with them, Things hadn't really been the same at Glory's since the grandkids had dropped on them like three human meteors from a galaxy he never quite understood. Look damn odd, Glor, he'd say, when he thought they weren't listening. <laughs> Least the boys do. Suppose the girls are right. You hush up about them, was Glory's reply. Her own children's blood was thoroughly mixed, although less so than the blood of her grandkids, and she wasn't about to have anyone comment on what was as obvious as burnt toast on snow. Mixed blood was not the disgrace it had been in centuries past. It no longer made anyone anathema. But George blew out his lips. He sucked on his teeth. From the corner of his eyes, he watched the young Campbells. They not fit in good into Jamaica, he pointed out. This assessment.
assessment didn't deter Glory. At least, that was how it seemed to her grandchildren in the days leading up to their exodus from East Acton. Glory sold the furniture, she boxed up the kitchen, she sorted through clothes, she packed the suitcases, and, when there was not enough to include everything that her granddaughter Ness wished to take to Jamaica, she folded those garments into her shopping trolley and declared that they'd pick up a suitcase on the way. They made a ragtag parade weaving over to Duquesne Road. Glory led the way in a navy winter coat that hung to her ankles with a green and orange turban tied round her head. Little Toby came second, tripping along on his tiptoes, as was his habit, an inflated life ring round his waist. Joel struggled to keep up third, the two suitcases he carried making his progress difficult.